This is The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, The Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Hello out there in Michigan radio land. Boy, do we have a report for you this weekend on the recently concluded historic session of the Michigan legislature. Lame duck session. Never been anything like it. And we've got a terrific guest here at the beginning. Emily Lawler, uh, ace capital reporter for MLive. Uh, Emily, are you there? And thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I Are you still awake? I mean, I can't believe this. Did you get any sleep last night at all? Um, not yet. My opportunity for that was slim, but I'm planning to go to sleep after this. Wow. <laughs> I mean, how late were they up? In fact, that's probably a wrong way to describe it. When did they actually break? Uh, Friday morning, what time? Yeah, the seven or the Senate broke around uh, seven forty ish, and then the House didn't break until just a tiny bit after eight. So it was definitely a late night slash early morning in the legislature. Yeah, this is an all nighter, and they were uh, voting constantly throughout the night. But they took breaks, they took recesses. Uh, but I guess probably uh, Capitol reporters like you, you got no break at all, right? Yeah, there were a lot of Capitol reporters that were there through the whole thing, and. I think that is important because uh, you want to make sure nothing sneaks by when you're not looking. Well, how do you look at this whole session? I mean, this has to be uh, a relatively novel experience, frankly, for everybody. I mean, there have been lame duck sessions in the past, uh, and I think we've defined lame duck. Everybody knows what it is right now. It's a session of the legislature between the general election, which this year was November 6th, and the end of the calendar year on December 31st. Uh, but this year, this broke all the records. I mean, how did you look at it? Yeah, I mean, first off, it was just long. Um, lame ducks have uh, traditionally been a little bit shorter. This was, um, you know, four full weeks and then, four, or sorry, four full legislative weeks and then bleeding into a, a Friday, which uh, I don't know that I've ever actually met with the legislature on a Friday <laughs> previously. So I think that... Um, uh, you know, it was definitely broad, and then just the sheer volume of bills going through. Um, you know, I'm sure I'll still be catching up with some of them for the next couple of days, but both chambers really had a lot of priorities, and they were doing all that passing back and forth, um, you know, early this morning and late last night. Yeah, there were predictions that uh, more than 300 bills would go to Governor Rick Snyder from the legislature just from this lame duck alone, but now I'm hearing it may be even more than that, right? Yeah, Zach Gortow with Gongwer is uh, the resident number cruncher, I think, and he has crunched it at 408 in that lame duck period. So that is really a, a giant, giant number of bills. <laughs> and uh, one of the things, or I should say a big piece of this was the supplemental appropriation bill, which I don't think they really took up until uh, Thursday into Friday. Uh, do you know what finally they did with that money? I think it was supposed to be $371 million. I mean, do you know what happened with that? Well, first off, it got huge. Um, it started off as kind of the 300 and some general fund, 670-ish million um, total. 
supplemental that Governor Snyder had proposed um, that grew to um, first off two supplementals, one for some school funding, one for um, general fund, and those cost in at like one point three billion. So I really think that's one of the largest supplementals, certainly that I've ever um, covered in the state legislature. Where's all uh, but- this? Where's all this money coming from beyond the three hundred seventy-one million? Yeah, so some of it, um, you know, Governor Snyder wanted his tipping fee increase to pay for some toxic site cleanups. Um, instead of doing it through tipping fees, they did it through a straight appropriation. Um, $69 million is going there. The governor had said he wanted to invest in roads. $114 million is going to roads. Um, $79 million is going to some education things, uh, specific education things, things like increased um, at-risk funding. And um, uh, probably most interestingly, um, $115 million looks to be going to sort of these little pet projects that uh, have cropped up all over districts that nobody saw until, um, of course, earlier this morning, at least in the press corps. Yeah, I understand the uh, K-12, kindergarten through 12th grade school lobby wasn't too happy with the way some of this money was parceled out. They feel the school aid fund was raided and money given to things outside the school aid fund. What about that? Yeah, I wouldn't say that's a hundred percent, um, fair characterization. So, um, the increase in online sales tax from, um, the new money that Michigan is allowed to collect through that traditionally a large chunk of the sales tax, um, goes towards schools and that's constitutional. Um, and so schools were kind of looking at that saying, well, great, you know, we <laughs> increased this online sales tax and now we are going to get more money for schools. And what the legislature did is kind of backdoor that money out. They um, backed out some money from the income tax that would be otherwise dedicated toward um, K-12 and kind of backed out an equal amount of money. So schools don't have any um, really more or less money than they did um, before that switch. But I think that they would prefer, of course, more. Uh, what about, uh, some other stuff that happened? Some of it kind of at the last minute, like there was a big package of gambling, uh, bills or a bill that went through, uh, involving fantasy sports, gambling, internet, gambling, cell phone, uh, gambling at the horse yeah. tracks. Uh, what about that? Yeah. You know, I talked with, um, uh, Amber McCann is the, the spokeswoman for, uh, Senate majority leader, Arlen Goff and, um, you know, the way that she characterized it, a lot of this stuff had been coming up individually for a while, and um, the Senate kind of wanted to handle it all at once. Um, and a lot of the bills actually did end up tying into one another, um, being amended to reference one another. Um, so, you know, there is quite a, when you put them all together, it is quite a significant gaming expansion that, that Michigan passed uh, in the late hours of last night. Of course, we got to wonder whether uh, for sure Governor Snyder is going to sign this particular measure and for that matter, a whole bunch of other stuff he's getting. I guess nobody can be completely sure about that. Have you gotten any signals one way or another about what the governor may or may not do on this torrent of legislation that is dumped on his desk? Not at all. I wish I did, (laughs) but... Um, his spokesperson, Ari Adler, has been um, pretty uh, insistent, I guess, that uh, each bill goes before the governor is considered individually. Um, the governor himself has been insistent on that, um, you know, kind of insists there's no horse trading going on. Um, of course, there's always speculation about that in Lansing. So, I, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I would be surprised if he signs 
100% of them, and I'd be surprised if he uh, vetoes all of them. So I think it'll definitely land somewhere in between. As part of the supplemental appropriations, was there any money set aside and sent to the governor for this so-called Heritage Hall, which is a kind of scaled-down visitor's center in the state capitol? Did that happen, or did that fall by the wayside? of that is that it's not actually a direct appropriation, but they increased the bond limit um, for that project. So I do think that, um, you know, it kind of shuffled down the path, if you will. I don't know that it was um, a direct appropriation that would allow it to be implemented immediately or anything like that. Let me ask you about these three uh, ballot proposals um, that there was legislation at one time or another put in to try to amend or modify, uh, perhaps you could say indirectly with separate bills, because supposedly uh, if a ballot proposal is approved by the voters, it can only be altered by the legislature by a three-quarters majority. They had to get around that. Uh, Some of this stuff uh, fared well and some didn't, uh, at least in terms of being passed. Let me just ask you, like Prop 1, which was uh, marijuana, uh, legalization. Uh, what finally happened with efforts to try and modify that? Yeah, that folded pretty early. Um, it would have been a heavy lift, like you said, so that never even got through the first chamber. And uh, before that, back down. And then Prop 2 and 3 were a little less uh, controversial, a little bit more about um, some couching implementation language. The Prop 3 bills went all the way through and the Prop 2 bill died in the House. Okay, we're going to have to take a break here, but we're going to be back in just a minute with Emily Lawler, Capitol correspondent for MLive, who was there during the historic all-night final day of the Michigan legislature's lame duck session. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We're back with our special guest, Emily Lawler, a Capitol correspondent for MLive, who was there on the job all night uh, in the final hours of the historic lame duck session of the Michigan legislature Thursday and Friday. Uh, Emily, I understand there was a bill. It, it was the Emily FOIA bill. Is that related to you? Oh, you know what? I'm not that <laughs> famous yet. <laughs> We're giving you credit. Oh, well, I don't know if I want credit for this one. Uh, that stems from a mysterious Emily who was actually um, an interest group who um, requested a bunch of FOIAs anonymously from a bunch of local clerks. I think actually every clerk in the state. Um, she prompted some legislation that would require uh, people to disclose their names, addresses, have some contact information if they're going to be requesting public documents. Yeah, this is freedom of information request uh, after the 2016 presidential election in Michigan, and nobody could figure out who this Emily was. You're saying it wasn't you. We believe you, Emily. Uh, Thank but you. They're, they're trying to, with this legislation, make sure they can find out uh, who such a person might be if it's attempted again, right? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of these clerks um, had kind of follow-up questions or maybe uh, the other Emily Uh, requested some things that weren't really in their office, and they wanted to um, talk to them about redirecting that. And then on top of that, um, some of them had trouble cashing checks with no addresses or contact information. 
Right. What about this uh, bill, Senate Bill 1176? Uh, you could describe it as keeping dark money dark. Now, that got a lot of pushback from Democrats in the legislature. I think they unanimously opposed it. Republicans pushed it through. Do you know what happened with that? Uh, is that on its way to the governor? Um, you know, good question. I would have to look that one up again. I know that um, that got a lot of play kind of early on. Um, and I think that did go through both chambers tonight, I think, actually. I think it did. What about the, uh, the two bills that early on went through and actually governor, uh, Rick Snyder's already signed them involving, uh, the two initiative enacted laws back in September, hiking the minimum wage and earn sick leave. Uh, they were signed into law by the governor, right? Yeah, and um, the the amendments to those laws were what was uh, signed, and I would say both those amendments pretty substantially changed uh, what the proposals uh, had proposed, and in, in some cases, I think, kind of changed the whole intent of the proposals. Yeah, there were a few bills also that uh, attempt to curb local control. They would prohibit local governments from adopting or enforcing uh, Anything attempted by a local government prohibiting or restricting the removal of trees or other vegetation on private property, that thing actually died, didn't it? I don't think it got yeah, through. Yeah, that got through the Senate but died in the House. Uh, apparently there are some uh, local tree-concerned uh, people over there. So I'm not exactly sure on the story of how it died, but it definitely did. How about abortion telemedicine? Do you know what that was? And I think that got through to the governor, didn't it? I think so. Yeah, that that one was actually just an extension of a sunset that prohibited um, that practice. So it's already current law, um, obviously still a little controversial, but um, not not for the Republican-led legislature. I don't think that was a heavy lift there. One thing that was very controversial, and it happened earlier in the session. When we say earlier, I'm just talking about like last week. Uh, you know, it <laughs> didn't have to be that long ago. The Enbridge Line 5 tunnel under the Straits of Mackinac, that actually got through. And I think Governor Snyder has already signed it. And there's already been some uh, stops and starts with two members of a three-member uh, authority having to resign for uh, different reasons and be replaced immediately by Snyder. And that prompted uh, cries of outrage from Democrats mainly who said, you know, this is what happens when the legislature rushes through legislation without properly inspecting the details of what's in it. Uh, what about all that as far as you, you yeah, that, see? Yeah, that was definitely some lightning quick action from the governor once it landed on his desk. He actually announced his signature and the appointments, I think, on the, the same day in the same press release. So he definitely went pretty quickly on that. And uh, as you alluded to, maybe it shows a little bit. Um, but uh, some Democrats have opposed this uh, legislation uh, in this construct because uh, they think it uh, ties the hands of uh, Governor-elect Gretchen Whitmer when it comes to how to deal with Line 5. There was another bill, Senate Bill 1211, reducing wetlands protections uh, would uh, require the Department of Environmental Quality's permission to modify or fill, um, you know, doubling the size threshold at which regulation is required. Uh, I should say redefine what they can do, kind of restrict them in many ways. That was controversial. Did that get through? Yeah, but it, a very watered-down version of that got through. Um, it actually got to the point where I'm told by the time it actually um, passed the House, there was some substantial changes, 
and actually a lot of the environmental groups that had very adamantly opposed it in the beginning moved to neutral. Um, I think the DEQ might have actually moved to support. So, um, you know, there were some pretty significant changes there that I think addressed a lot of the, the concerns that people had had. You know, one of the most controversial uh, things that was uh, debated, again, earlier in the lame duck session, and I say earlier, it was right up until this week, uh, and that is changing campaign finance oversight, taking away from the Secretary of State, incoming Democrat Jocelyn Benson, giving it to a six-member bipartisan commission. Uh, That got a lot of opposition, obviously, from Democrats, but I think that floundered at the end too, didn't it? It did. That one is actually, I think, one of the most notable um, failures just because it looks like it had such momentum uh, for a while. And also, uh, Dave Robertson has a pretty good track record, I think, when it comes to um, getting his legislation through. But uh, yeah, that one that one did end up failing. Um, I talked to Mikoff about that, uh, Senate Majority Leader Mikoff, after session, actually. And he said that uh, he kind of named that as the top of his list of things he was disappointed and um, didn't make it all the way through. What about fireworks legislation? Wasn't there a bill on fireworks? Uh, there was. <laughs> and and yeah. did, did that get all the way through? Uh, I believe so, yes. There were um, changes that one kind of volleyed back and forth. Um, I think the Senate handled it last, and then I think there was a technical change that made it bounce back and forth. But um, yeah, as far as I know, there are uh, a little bit different fireworks uh, laws on their way to the well, governor. I mean, what that really does is it gives local units of government more uh, capacity to restrict uh, the use of fireworks uh, during the year. Isn't that right? Uh, and uh, people felt that the fireworks law that's been in effect for maybe six, seven years has gotten a lot of pushback from the public uh, about excessive noise and uh, misuse of fireworks in a way that's a public nuisance. Um, so, I mean, in other words, the legislature trying to react to that said, okay, let's keep the fireworks law in effect, that, but let's scale it back a little bit. Let's give it a little more local control. They've actually, uh, since that law's inception, come back and done some fine-tuning a couple times on that one. So, yes, the latest iteration is on its way to the governor, I believe. Right. Listen, um, we would uh, keep on going. I mean, there are 408 bills, you said, that passed and went to the governor. We could keep talking for hours, but you got to get some sleep. You you deserve 48 hours straight sleep at this point. Oh, well, I appreciate it, and I'm glad you didn't quiz me on all 408. Listen, I really appreciate you doing this. Uh, thank you so much, Emily Lawler, ACE Capital Correspondent for MLive. Thank you, Emily Lawler. Hey, thanks for having me. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We are back, and we've got another special guest here. Uh, She is Beth LeBlanc. She is a state government and politics reporter for the Detroit News, and... uh, Emily, I want to, uh, excuse me, <laughs> Beth, I want to uh, welcome you to the show and uh, hope that, you know, you uh, have been able to get some sleep since the session ended. Yes. Thank you for having me, Bill. Um, yeah, no sleep so far, but I'm sure 
there will be time for that later on. So. Yeah, this is unbelievable. This is the first lame duck session you have ever covered, right? And from everything I've heard and know, and I mean, we're going back half a century. I hate to tell you, there's never been a lame duck session like this one ever. So you, you got in at, you could call it the top, uh, in the sense of activity. Uh, how did you react to what you saw the spectacle over the last seven weeks and particularly this last week or two? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it was pretty busy all throughout the four weeks, but definitely that activity, um, definitely peak, uh, on Thursday and into Friday, um, you know, legislators entered into session at 10 a.m. Thursday and didn't leave the House floor until 8 a.m. on Friday. And they basically had a pretty steady stream of legislation going through that whole time and, and really have throughout these four weeks um, with, with big items on the agenda like amendments to ballot proposals and, um, you know, a lot of environmental uh, legislation that some say kind of um, kind of, you know, handcuffs the, the state in terms of environmental response and regulation, um, and, and a lot related to campaign finance as well. So um, it's, it's definitely been a spectacle. It's definitely been an experience. Um, I have heard that it is one of the largest ever, and I think the last tally I heard from Gongor News was that you know, over 400 bills are headed to the governor's desk for a signature um, after this four-week session. So it's, it's definitely been an experience. Yeah, that's by far a record. I got to tell you that. I mean, people were predicting over 300 bills would go to the governor. It apparently, it was like 408 are going to the governor. Whether they're all signed, that remains to be seen. Uh, you covered mainly the House. Is that it? Yeah, that's correct. Well, what stood out uh, out of all the bills that you saw flow through there? Uh, what do you think captivated uh, your imagination <laughs> and interpretation uh, more than maybe some of the others? Yeah, well, I think I think one of the bigger ones to go through the House um, because it originated there was the legislative intervention bill, um, which would allow the um, the lawmakers, so be it the House or the Senate, to intervene in lawsuits um, where they feel that they had an interest that they needed to protect in those lawsuits. Um, and, you know, right now they have that ability to do so, but it's up to the judge's discretion on whether they intervene in those cases. And this would remove that discretion from the judges and just allow them to intervene whenever they feel necessary. And, um, you know, some have said... It really challenges the authority of a, the incoming Attorney General Dana Nessel, um, who is in, whose responsibility is to represent the state in these cases, and she's definitely uh, made her displeasure known about this as well. Um, that that she feels it's somewhat of a um, kind of a challenge to her authority in that sense. Um, legislators just say that they need a voice. Um, in that discussion, they need a place at that table, especially as they say, um, as they see it more and more, there is, um, you know, legislating from the bench in the sense that judges are ruling on laws and how they're interpreted. 
Yeah, of course, uh, there's a partisan aspect to this, too, because the legislature, both houses are controlled by Republicans, uh, and they will be controlled by Republicans beginning in January for the next two years, whereas the incoming Attorney General Dana Nessel is a Democrat. So Democrats in particular are complaining about this legislation, saying this is a Republican legislature trying to handcuff the Democratic Attorney General. You probably heard a lot of about that, right? Yeah, and and definitely. Um, so we did hear a lot about that with the legislative intervention bill, but um, it kind of heightened when Senator Robertson in the Senate um, introduced the campaign finance committee bills, which would create or take the authority from the Secretary of State to oversee campaign finance um, regulation and put it in the hands of an independent commission that they said would be bipartisan. However, those bills did not get taken up by the House and committee. So um, those those kind of died there. And the only one that really survived that, that perhaps has the most sway in that partisan aspect is the legislative intervention bill. Right. Uh, the incoming Secretary of State, of course, is a Democrat, Jocelyn Benson. And again, uh, the cries of uh, outrage from Democrats centered around a Republican legislature taking away from a Democratic Secretary of State the power to supervise campaign finance and give it to this bipartisan uh, commission, appointed, by the way, by a Democratic governor, it would be. Um, but, you know, as you say, that foundered, that did not pass, but the legislative intervention did. I'll just mention one thing. And that is, you know, honestly, this uh, issue of legislative intervention has been around actually on and off for quite a long time. Back in the 1970s, there was a dispute uh, between the attorney general at that time, Frank Kelly, who was a Democrat, and the legislature, which, by the way, at that time was controlled by Democrats, uh, over whether or not the legislature could intervene in a a prison overcrowding uh, litigation before the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court in that case ruled that the legislature should be able to intervene. They allowed the legislature in and the legislature actually prevailed in the final verdict of the Supreme Court against the attorney general. So, I mean, this issue has been around for a long time. As you pointed out, uh, what this legislation going to Governor Snyder uh, right now would do is simply remove the discretion from a judge or a court on whether or not to allow the legislature to intervene. It would just say automatically, if the legislature wants to intervene, it can, right? Correct. Yes. And, and also I would say, uh, if the legislature intervenes, that doesn't assure that it's going to win, uh, it simply gives it a seat at the table, right? Uh, vis-a-vis whatever the attorney general might be saying, uh, what other uh, litigants in the suit, maybe amicus curiae, might be saying. And uh, we would have to find out going forward whether uh, the legislative intervention really makes any practical difference on a particular lawsuit, right? Yeah, I mean, it should be interesting to see how it plays out and in which cases it plays out and where they decide to exercise that discretion. And, you know, they also, 
now that the law, um, you know, is passed by both chambers, of course, it still needs the signature of Governor Snyder, but um, if it is implemented, it should be interesting to see how they implement it, because I believe the House and Senate have to put in place the rules by which they decide how to join a case and, um, you know, pay for it and and proceed through with it and everything. So it it should be interesting to see how it all plays out at the end of the day. Yeah, there are another uh, couple of bills let me just bring up. One was a bill, I think it was introduced by State Representative Tim Kelly of Saginaw. Um, he's term limited on his way out the door, but uh, it would grade schools on an A through F scale, kind of like in the classroom, A, B, C, D, F, um, on whether they're really good. But I'm not even going to ask you to answer that yet. We're going to take a quick break, and then uh, we can come back with Beth LeBlanc, who is the state government and politics reporter for the Detroit News, and we're going to continue this discussion. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned with Beth LeBlanc. She is the state government and politics reporter for the Detroit News in the state capitol. She covered the historic lame duck session of the Michigan legislature right into the not just we small hours of Friday morning, uh, but right up to 8 a.m., that's when they finally broke for the year. Uh, I think formally they're not going to adjourn sine die uh, until maybe New Year's Eve, but their work is done. Hopefully they have disbanded and left La- uh, Lansing. And Beth LeBlanc, I guess we can hope that while our backs are turned, they don't creep back into the Capitol and try and do some more mischief, right? Well, you know, they all look pretty tired at the end of the day, Friday. So I, I don't know if that's possible. I don't think so. Okay. Well, I asked you a question just before our break about this A through F grading of school buildings, uh, a school districts uh, bill that I think got all the way through the House and Senate's on its way to the governor. What do you think about that? Yeah. So that bill, um, you know, a lot of people think it will just give an A through F grade to each school system or each school. Um, but it actually grades them in, they get a grade in like five or six different areas. So, um, for like English language skills, for mathematics, for absentee rate, um, for things like that. So it's not just one grade across, you know, across the board, but it is broken down by category. Um, however, that, that hasn't really decreased the opposition to that. And, and prior to the late night on Thursday, the, the overnights in the House and Senate, or the very late nights there, have all been centered around these education bills, which has been really strongly advocated for by Representative Tim Kelly, but also by Governor Snyder in the past, who has, um, I think, long sought an A through F system for schools because they say that it's it's easier to understand for parents who are, you know, kind of analyzing the schools that they're sending their, their kids to. Um, but, you know, other people have pushed back in, in large part, or if not anything else, just because of the many changes that schools have been going through in terms of um, 
you know, like how they're evaluated and, and analyzed. Um, and for them, it just seems like a, a, a new hurdle to clear in terms of that. There was also some concern early on with the bill um, because it included a provision that would create like an education accountability commission um, that some said would operate as like a shadow state board of education um, and possibly step on some toes in terms of whose authority um, would be would be would bear out over these schools. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, after these long sessions, there was there were some compromises on the bill, and that commission was was boiled down to about uh, five appointees. And it it may very well be that those appointees will be appointed by governor by Governor Whitmer. Um, so there was some compromise on the bills, and and they did see passage because of that. Yeah, I think there was another uh, education-related bill uh, which expands the eligibility for non-certified uh, substitute teachers. Uh, I think that passed both chambers on its way to the governor. We'll see what happens on that. Let me ask you about one other bill that actually got a lot of pushback from Democrats. There were some statements issued, uh, explanation of no votes, and press releases from Democrats on Friday, and that involved... Um, allowing uh, communities, or I should say businesses, to uh, be able to count out-of-state employees uh, and still be able to qualify for Michigan Education Development Corporation grants, MEDC. Democrats claim this was rewarding out-of-state businesses as opposed to state employees. residents, but the border counties down along Indiana and Ohio, the legislators down there said, you know, we really need this uh, because a lot of our workers come from Indiana and Ohio and vice versa. We lose a lot of people to go work down there. I think that was in the house on Friday, wasn't it? Or late Thursday? Yeah. Yeah. So that was actually late Thursday that it was in the house at least. And um, yeah, so that was prompted, like you said, by those by uh, by communities in the on the borders of Michigan, who you know, workers in those communities don't really see the divide, don't really see the the state line, and often travel over it for work. So, um, you know, Representative Miller, a Republican, argued that it's a fairness issue that um, you know these these other companies or developments throughout the state had uh, were able to meet the requirements for in-state employees more easily because they didn't live as close to the border. So they had more, more in-state employees to draw from. Um, so it started out as the language would apply to border counties, um, that they would be able to hire some out-of-state employees and still qualify for these business tax incentives. Um, but the language that actually passed, instead of saying border counties, said um, any business with at least 75% in-state employees could hire out-of-state employees. And I think Democrats, I don't know if they were comfortable with the original language, but they were definitely upset with the new language um, that would allow businesses practically throughout the state to hire as long as they had 75% in-state employees. Um, you know, the bill developers explained that the reason they did that was because sometimes you get a company, let's say in Indiana, that wants to start up a second location in Michigan, 
but wants to bring some of its employees from the Indiana location to Michigan to help start up. And um, they would not be able to do that and still get business tax incentives um, because of those out-of-state employees. So it was kind of, um, I guess, an olive branch to them to try and make it easier for them to expand into Michigan. Um, so, you know, there definitely was, um, I think Representative Donna Lasinski had some strong words about about that plan on the House floor in opposition to it. Um, but Representative Miller, like I said before, who lives in Sturgis on the border of Michigan, or near the border, um, was in support of it because he, he sees it as bringing more jobs to his area. Yeah, good point. Uh, you... I think in particular saw a lot of environmental uh, legislation there in the house. Didn't you? I mean, what stood out for you? Yeah. I, so among the, there were quite a few environmental bills. Um, and uh, among them, I think the one that got the most attention was one that they've dubbed the no stricter than federal rule. And this actually was first introduced in 2011. And when it was introduced in 2011, it, it said the state can, promulgate no rule that is stricter than federal, be it a rule for manufacturing, be it a rule for, um, you know, environmental. Um, it, it just said we're, we're not going to go stricter than federal on any rule. And Governor Snyder vetoed that. Um, it was the first full, complete bill that he vetoed as governor um, in 2011. Um, but the, the bill sponsor, Representative Cole, said that... He thinks this bill will have a better chance of, of getting the governor's signature because it, it does have some compromises in there. So um, instead of just outright barring um, any rule that's stricter than federal, it requires the agencies who decide to adopt a rule stricter than federal to submit an explanation of that to um, to lawmakers through the JCAR process or the Joint Committee on Administrative Rules. Um, so now whenever uh, an agency wants to ad- adopt a very strict rule, they would have to go to that JCAR panel and explain why. And that JCAR panel would have some influence on saying, you know, whether that explanation is satisfactory. Uh, Representative Cole said he thinks it will, bring, um, it will bring transparency to the process, help lawmakers to understand um, how the departments are are developing these rules and, and ensure that they're not overly burdensome on people. Um, but, you know, on the other side, I think there was a lot of opposition to it from, from Democrats because they saw it as, as another way to kind of rein in or handcuff um, the, the authority and the responsibilities of the people coming in after January 1st, 2019. Um, because this obviously would would put some strictures on what they're able to do in terms of creating administrative rules. Wasn't there also a bill to allow a low-level radioactive waste disposal site in Van Buren County? Didn't that see some activity opposition in the House? Yeah, um, I'm not familiar with that one as much, but that did see some activity, and there was also a uh, chemical cleanup criteria that that got a lot of opposition, but still, um, still won approvals at the end of the day, and is headed to the governor's desk as well. Right. Listen, we could keep talking about this. There are other pieces of legislation: pet shops, drones, baby boxes. We could we could go on for hours, but uh, our guests. 
Beth LeBlanc, she needs to get a lot of rest, a weekend of rest after uh, watching the historic uh, lame duck session of the Michigan legislature. Thank you so much, Beth LeBlanc of the Detroit News. Thank you, Bill, for having me.